Hey, we're Phil and Meredith, and we're the pastors here at Cornerstone Church, and we are so glad that you are here with us today. It's our prayer that this message is an inspiration to you, that it builds you up, that it stirs your faith right now in your today, as well as in the days to come. We believe that God has great things for you. God bless you. We're gonna be looking at two different scriptures here today. Mark chapter six, this is the scripture of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And it's a scripture that is common for many of us, Jesus feeding the 5,000. It is the only miracle that is recorded in all four gospels. We see it, we read about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the miracle where Jesus fed the 5,000. We read about it in Mark chapter six, and we're gonna start in verse 30. Thank you for standing as we honor the word of God today. And it says this, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. I wanna pause right there. That's a really interesting phrase for me that there were many people that were coming and going. This is Jesus, right? This is Jesus, the Son of God. Many people knew him at this time as the Son of God already. He was already performing astounding miracles. He was healing a ton of people. They knew him as the Son of God, but there were people that were coming and going. It surprises me that there were people that were not just coming and staying, but they were coming and going. Right? Why were they going? If I know Jesus Christ is in this place, I'm gonna come and stay. Right? I don't just want a one-off touch. I don't just want my miracle in this moment. I just don't want this healing. I wanna be surrounded by His presence all the time. I'm gonna come and stay and sit with my Jesus here in this place. But they were coming and they were going. There were so, so many people were coming and going that they didn't have a chance to eat. And he said to the disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place to get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. And verse 33 says, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And then this story continues where Jesus ends up receiving a little bit of food, thanking God for it, multiplying it and feeding the thousands, 5,000 men and their families. We see the miracle of the feeding of the thousands of people here in this place. And Hebrews 10 and 24 and 25, these are some of my favorite scriptures. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day approaching, the day is capitalized there because that's a significant day. That is the day when Jesus is returning again. We here in this place believe that Jesus is coming back, that he didn't just come, die and leave, but that he is coming back for his church, which is a glorious bride. And that day is approaching, Jesus is coming back. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. Either I'm leaving to go see him or he's coming here to see us and we're excited about it. Those are the two scriptures there. Before you go ahead and grab your seats, why don't you turn to the nearest three people and tell them who you're voting for next month. <laughs> Joking, obviously, don't do that, don't do that. Don't ruin the incredible atmosphere and the presence of God that we have here in this place. I hope I didn't ruin that. You can go ahead and grab your seats.
Don't do that. You know, there's one thing that um, I certainly know enough about already, and that is everybody's political opinions. I don't know if you guys have social media as well. It takes about 13 seconds to open social media and see what someone's political persuasions or who they're voting for is at the moment, right? This is the season that we are in. If we haven't met yet, my name is Phil, and you met my wife earlier. She's uh, Meredith, and she's awesome. And we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We are not the head of Cornerstone Church. The head of Cornerstone Church is this incredible guy named Jesus. And if you haven't met him yet, it would be my privilege to introduce you to Jesus. You can uh, come down and join us here at the front. I'd love to introduce you to Jesus right after service. Jesus, you won't find him on a ballot in November. There is no election for him because he is the king. He's not running for president. He always has been the king, always will be the king. He is always in control. He always has the victory. There's no doubt in my mind that is our Jesus. And so you don't have to vote for him. He's always in control, right? But, um, but I love that we are a church cornerstone that is diverse. I love that we understand that we are kingdom people first, that it doesn't matter which way we vote, that we are kingdom people first, right? And so come November, it doesn't matter who wins, it doesn't matter who loses, that we are kingdom people first. Our focus is on Jesus and what Jesus is doing. We should vote, voting is important, but ultimately we are kingdom people first. And I love the fact that we are a diverse church, not just in terms of the skin color that we have and the various shades of brown, not just in terms of the ages of the members that are represented here, but I love that we have different genders, male and female, in different roles within this church. I love that you can be yourself in this church, no matter who you think like, no matter who you vote for. You can be yourself. I love that you can be yourself around people that vote like you, that you can be yourself around people that don't vote like you. This is our church. This is a beautiful community that God has brought together in diversity into this place, but we are ultimately on one purpose, and that is to see the name of Jesus Christ declared around our region and to be resilient in our faith until he returns. This is Cornerstone Church. We are in a series at the moment, though this is week two of our series, and we're talking about what it means to be hybrid. Meredith kicks this series off last week. Being a hybrid is about pulling two different things together to create something better. Two different things coming together to create something better. And we know there are many different examples in society. We know that that many cars that are created these days are hybrid, right? They're not just use, they don't just use one form of fuel, they don't just use gasoline, sometimes they use batteries depending on the speed that you're driving in. We know that many of our schools are now hybrid models. They used to just be in person, some schools are now online only, but now many schools are offering a hybrid model where students and teachers are in the office or in the school sometimes, and sometimes they are home, they are a hybrid model. Hybrid is when you have two different things that come together to create something better. We are a hybrid church. Meredith talked about this last week, that we don't just have in-person services, but we are also reaching people online. This is our online campus. And we don't just reach people through our online campus, it is our heart that we would reach people with the gospel at all times, 
not just streaming our services, but when you open your Instagram feed, when you are listening to a podcast, that you would always hear the gospel preached, that you would always hear Jesus declared as our Savior. We wanna make sure that Jesus is found everywhere in everything that we are doing. So we are a hybrid church. I know that we're Cornerstone Church, but we're also hybrid church, right? We are in-person services, and we also have online options to be able to reach people in community as well. I was thinking about this example earlier this week, that if you are a parent, you are also in the business of making little hybrids. You might, a matter of fact, have little hybrids that are around you right now. If you're joining online, maybe your little hybrids are tearing up your living room wherever you're at. But we create little hybrids, right? Because we have one person and a different person that come together and create something better. And it is our heart and our prayer as as leaders in our house, as parents, to create something better. It is our heart and our prayer that our children would go further, would do more, would achieve more, would know more, would make more than we ever did. And so we are creating things, little hybrids, that are better than we were, better than we are, right? And you might be asking the question as well about our leadership model. Why in Cornerstone Church do we have two lead pastors? Many churches just have one pastor, but why do we have two? Well, first and foremost, it is because Meredith and I, I certainly wouldn't be doing this without her, and she probably wouldn't be doing this without me. We feel like, we believe that God has called us into ministry to serve together, side by side. We complement each other. It's almost like the way that I describe it to people is, if you imagine rocket fuel, Right? Like we all know NASA, we know when people are trying to get onto the moon and into space and, and into, onto different planets and those kinds of things. To get a rocket off the ground, you don't just put gasoline on the inside of this thing. You need a really powerful chemical called rocket fuel. And rocket fuel is made of two different things, liquid nitrogen and liquid oxygen. I hope I haven't lost you yet because I get all my science geek on when I talk about these kinds of things. Liquid nitrogen and liquid oxygen. Liquid nitrogen is really cool by itself, it's good. And liquid oxygen is cool by itself as well. But when you combine these things together, that's awesome. That's when you get rocket fuel and that's kind of how Meredith and I function together. Great organizations have a visionary and an executor. A visionary and an executor someone who sees big picture, someone who sees down the line, and someone who's able to execute on those things as well. And Meredith, the way that we function together is that she typically sees big picture down the line. You are sitting in 2020 and probably still complaining about the fact that we're in 2020 still, but Meredith is already thinking about 2021, about events that we can be hosting, about series and messages that we can be preaching. She's already there in 2021, right? And I'm more of the executor. I'm not trying to preach like she does because she's awesome at the way that she preaches, but she's not trying to lead meetings the way that I do. She's not trying to execute and strategize in the way that I do as well. We complement each other, right? And finding a spouse is so important. Finding the, the right spouse is so important. Who you choose is so important in life. And if I can just take a moment to kind of take a tangent from talking about hybrid, I just wanna to talk to those who are single or those who are looking for a spouse at some stage. Who you choose is so important. It is so crucial. Can I get an amen from the people who have chosen, right? The people who have a good spouse or had a good spouse, right? It is so important. 
who you marry has the potential, has the ability to either double your impact in life or halve your impact in life. They will either spur you on towards something or they will distract you from the thing that God has given you to do. Who you choose is so important in life. Your spouse is either going to be up in the morning praying for you, encouraging you, inspiring you, challenging you, pushing you towards the vision and the purpose that God has given you for your life, or they're going to distract you from it. Their jealous self is gonna pull your attention away from the thing that God has given you to do. They're gonna want all the attention for themselves. They're gonna get jealous if you're working on the thing that God has given for you. It's so important who you choose. And so I just wanna encourage you, if you're dating someone right now, if you're in our online campus and you're thinking about who you're dating right now, choose someone who is going to encourage you towards the thing that God has put on the inside of you. And if you are with somebody who doesn't do that, it might be time to reevaluate the relationship that you're in, right? I don't want you to go to that person and tell them, hey, Pastor Phil told us that, um, that we gotta break up because that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying reevaluate that relationship to make sure that that person is spurring you on towards the things that God has put on the inside of you because it matters so much. Okay, so hybrid. We're talking about hybrids. We're talking about when two different things come together to create something that is better. Not an either or, but a both and an and when these things come together. Meredith last week talked about feasting and fasting. It's not about either one of these things. It's about when we do both of these things. There is a time that is right for each of these different things. And today we're gonna be talking about solitude and gathering. It's not always right to be by yourself. It's not always right to be in community together. It is right in different times for us to be doing these things. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it like this. He says, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. I love the way that he writes this next sentence. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings, and one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. Blessed is he who is alone in the strength of fellowship, and blessed is he who keeps the fellowship in the strength of aloneness. Isn't that a beautiful way of saying that? It's almost like Bonhoeffer was quoting the book of Ecclesiastes there, right? You know the book of Ecclesiastes where it talks about there is a time that is right for everything, right? There is a time that is right for weeping. There is a time that is right for rejoicing. There is a time that is right for sowing. There is a time that is right for reaping. There is a time that is right for being in solitude. There is a time that is right for being in community. And as we dive into this a little bit deeper, I just wanna dispel the notion right now that I have arrived and that I have figured all of this out. Okay, 2020 has made it very apparent to me that I have not figured this out. 2019, I was doing a better job at this, but when everything came in 2020, us extroverts have had a really tough time at adjusting to quarantine and COVID and the pandemic and being alone and not being able to socialize and all of these kinds of things. And so um, I know that if you are an extrovert, you have found 2020 to be pretty difficult. If you are an introvert, 
This is your year. You are loving 2020. But I wanna say to all of my fellow extroverts, 2021 is on the way. We will have our time again. Meredith is loving this year. She's loving not having many evening plans, not having to get together with people, not having to socialize too much, being able to binge watch shows on TV and all of those kinds of things. Matter of fact, I actually heard her praying the other day that our governor would put us back into lockdown so that we don't need to socialize at all anymore. No, I'm just playing, she didn't pray that. But I know that she wouldn't be upset if we did go back into lockdown. So today we're talking about the tension between these two different things, the tension between solitude and gathering. These things might seem like they're at odds, they might seem like they butt up against each other, but in reality, when we look a little bit deeper at them, they're not at odds at all. These things complement each other. These things work well together. These things are almost like they are in spiritual symmetry when we look at healthy people. And so I wanna look at different scriptures on how we can learn about the way that we can exist in this spiritual symmetry. When you think about Jesus who was on earth around 2,000 years ago, and you think about what he was doing, I want you to think about that for a moment, like literally get an image in your mind of Jesus on earth around the Middle East. What is Jesus doing? Is he eating with people? Is he performing miracles? Is he walking on water? Is he multiplying food? What is Jesus doing? Right, when you think about Jesus on earth, that's the way that we often think about him. We often think about him doing something. And that makes sense because Jesus is often remembered by the parables that he taught, by the miracles that he performed, all of those things, because we are often remembered by the things that we do rather than not being remembered by the things that we didn't do. Right, Jesus is remembered by the things that he did, not often by the fact that he was in solitude. But Jesus was in solitude all the time. Matter of fact, uh, we see that before Jesus even started his public ministry, we see this in Luke chapter four, he is baptized and then he comes out of the water full of the Holy Spirit and the very first thing that Jesus does, he goes into the wilderness to spend 40 days by himself. Now, I don't know about you, but this is kind of strange to me. If I'm the Son of God, and if I'm full of the Holy Spirit, and I'm ready to start my public ministry, the first thing that I'm gonna do is look for the largest group of people, go to the biggest city, try and reach as many people as possible to get as many people saved as we can, to perform as many miracles as we can do, right? This is the thing that I would wanna do. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus, as a matter of fact, does the opposite. Jesus goes into the wilderness and stays there for 40 days. And when we read about Jesus doing it, we can think that that's kind of normal, but that is kind of weird, right? If you're speaking to your friend this afternoon and you said, hey, uh, what's your week look like this coming, this coming week? What are you up to? What are your plans? And they said, you know what? I think I'm actually gonna go into the wilderness, not just for this week, not just for next week, but for the next 40 days, I'm gonna spend time in the wilderness. You would think that that was kind of strange. If I told you that's what I was getting ready to do, to go and spend time in the wilderness for 40 days, you would think that that was kind of strange. But that that is what Jesus did to start his public ministry in Luke chapter four. And then in the very next chapter, we see in Luke chapter five, it says this, yet the news about him spread all the more. 
So Luke chapter 4, he's just starting his ministry, and then Luke chapter 5, the news about him is already spreading around the region, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And verse 16 says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, and he prayed. Often he did this. How often is often? We don't know how often is often. We don't know if he did this every single day. We don't know if he did this once a week, but he did it often enough that it is notable. He did this often enough that it is worth writing about, that it was noticeable to people that Jesus often did this. And it makes me think about what people would say about us that we did often, right? Do people say that you are often the last one to show up to work every day? Do people often say that you are the first one to complain about a situation? What do people say that you often do? Do they say that you are often the first one to pay when you're going out for a meal in 2019 or 2021, right? Do people say that you are often the first or often the last to do something? What do people often say about you? Jesus often withdrew into a place of solitude to be with his father, so much so that it was written about him. And the thing that I love about it is that Jesus doesn't just withdraw into a place of solitude and then come back out. Every single time that Jesus comes back out into a place of gathering, something massive takes place in his ministry. There is always a massive moment of significance every time that Jesus comes out of a place of solitude. Like he first goes into solitude, and then when he comes back out, he starts his public ministry. He goes into a place of solitude, and then he chooses his 12 disciples. He goes into a place of solitude, and then he feeds the 5,000 men and their families. Every time that Jesus goes into a place of solitude, into prayer to be with his Father, something massive takes place on the other side of that thing. And I just wonder about how much better our lives would be if every time something massive is coming up, we entered first into a place of solitude to ensure that we were centered and that we were right with God and that we had prayed our way into that thing. Amen? But I get that it's hard. It's hard for extroverts. It's hard for people who are high achievers. It's, it's, high, it's hard for people that like to be busy. It's hard for people that like to always be moving. It's hard, right, this concept of being in intentional solitude because we always like to be active. We always like to be doing stuff. We always like to be busy. But intentional solitude is essentially a counterintuitive idea, intentional solitude. It's this idea of trying to do nothing in the natural sense. Intentional solitude is when you try and do nothing in the natural sense. And in a world that is always connected, this can be really difficult to do because we are always distracted because media is trying to pull our attention in all these different kinds of ways. And let me tell you what solitude is not. Solitude is not simply going home tonight and watching Netflix by yourself. That is not solitude. That is simply being alone and watching TV. That is not being in intentional solitude. Intentional solitude is when you decide to spend time alone with God without distractions when you intentionally make the decision to remove yourself from distractions and spend time with Jesus, that is intentional solitude. And I just have to be honest, I think as a church, we can and should be doing better at promoting the value of solitude. 
This is not just true for our church at Cornerstone Church. This is true for churches everywhere, right? Churches everywhere promote the importance of community. We promote the importance of getting together. We promote the importance of events and gatherings and everybody being in one space. And those things are important. But when was the last time that you heard us as a leadership team, us as a church, the church, talking about the value of being alone, the value of not being together? The value of being together is important. We'll talk about that in just a couple of moments. We'll, we'll talk about the value of community, but the value of being in solitude is so important and it's so undervalued in our society. But we need to be doing better at talking about the value of solitude. And Jesus has these immensely important moments on the other side of every time that he goes into solitude. And you can always tell when someone has been spending time with Jesus. You can always tell when someone has been in solitude with Jesus because they sound just like him. And that is because we start sounding more like the people that we spend our time with. That's why our accents change over time. That's why I've been in the States for eight years and you can barely tell that I'm still hanging on to my Australian accent, right? Our accents change over time because we start sounding like the people that we spend our time with. And when you spend time with Jesus, you start sounding more like him. There will be times in life that you will probably respond too harshly to someone, that you will probably move too quickly, and it's probably because you haven't spent your time with Jesus that day, because you haven't gone into solitude to pray and to be with him. And this is what I've learned, is that the healthy Christian life cannot be experienced without solitude being a part of it. You can't just be in community all the time and think that you are going to live a healthy Christian life. The healthy Christian life must have solitude as a part of it if you wanna live in health with Christ. And the book of Luke shows us this. Being with people is important. Praying with people is important. Showing up for our church services, our worship experiences, these things are important. But when you're by yourself, when you're truly by yourself alone with God, where you don't have to worry about what you're dressed in, about what people are thinking about your latest hairstyle or hair color, where you don't have to worry about what people are thinking about, the things that you're saying and the things that you're doing, that's when you can have a radical transform transformative experience with Christ because you're not distracted by all the thoughts about what people are thinking about you. That's the value of solitude because we don't get distracted by what people are thinking and what people are saying about us. So being together in community is important, but being in solitude just as much is important. And it's important to make sure that we're intentional about it. Not just that we're intentional about it, but that we protect and that we guard these spaces. Because I don't know about you, but often when I try and get myself into solitude, like I'll decide, okay, I'm gonna get up at 5 a.m. tomorrow morning and I'm gonna be with God. I'm gonna be alone in my basement and I'm gonna pray with God. And then sure enough, our kids spend the entire night awake, and so then 5 a.m. rolls around, and the last thing that I wanna do is be with God, right? We have to be intentional about it, and we have to guard our spaces because distractions come up, interruptions come up. You might make plans to, when you get home from work, to spend time with God, and then sure enough, your car breaks down on the way home from work and now you don't have that time that you had planned to be with God because interruptions come up, because distractions come up. And interruptions are okay, 
Jesus was interrupted on a regular basis, but he never allowed his interruptions to become disruptions from what he was doing. Jesus knew where he was going, he knew what his ultimate plan was for each day, but then he always returned after the interruption to continue doing whatever it was that he had planned to do. And I wanna encourage you and challenge you in this. Never allow something to become a disruption, to move you permanently away from returning into a place of solitude. Always ensure that you return yourself into a place of solitude. Interruptions are fine but return yourself back into a place of solitude and you will see health and wholeness come there. The Psalms are um, a great place to start in this. If you are like me and if you struggle with the idea of solitude because you always like being around other people, the Psalms, the book of Psalms are a great place to go. And that's because the book of Psalms are largely meditative. The book of Psalms, even Psalms chapter one starts with the law of the Lord and how important it is to meditate on that, right? And so the book of Psalms is full of scriptures like be still and know that I am God. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. Psalm 23, the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down. Even when we're not doing it for ourselves, God is still gonna make you lie down and be in solitude because of how important it is to be a healthy Christian. God will make you lie down in green pastures. David wrote many of the Psalms in his time of being in solitude and one-on-one -on -one in relationship with God. We see that Jesus spent a lot of his time in solitude. Moses spent a lot of his time in solitude. Ezekiel, Isaiah, all of the great men and women of the Bible spent time in solitude, and through that we realize how important it is to be in a solitude season. But let's flip the coin real quick because if anything, 2020 isn't difficult to be in solitude, right? If anything, it is difficult to be in community. We don't need a lesson on being by ourselves in 2020 because largely we've been forced to be by ourselves in 2020, right? So let's flip the coin and talk about the importance of community. At the beginning of this year, we talked in a series called Now We Eat. You remember that series, Now We Eat? It was all about community. Can you believe that that was just at the beginning of this year? We had that series, doesn't it seem like years ago? Now We Eat, we talked about the value of being in community together because God is in community within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is in community with himself. And because of that, we realize the importance of being in community with each other as well. In Paul's writings, in the epistles, we see him describe the church as the body of Christ. The body is not just made up only of feet. The body is not made up only of hands, right? We all know that we have different roles to play. Some of us are ears, some of us are eyes, some of us are mouths, but we all have different roles to play in the body of Christ. And the enemy's goal is to try and separate the body. We are most alive when we are united, working in the same purpose, moving in the same journey, and that is to lift up the name of Jesus Christ in our region. And so when we are all doing whatever it is that God has called us to do, when we are playing that role, we see the body come to life. We need each other. And that is why Meredith and I are so passionate about involvement. That's why we're so passionate about not just attending church, not just spectating, but getting involved. Because you can experience God by yourself, but you cannot experience church by yourself. 
And if God, through Jesus, is coming back for the church, you cannot experience church simply as a spectator. It takes participation. It takes involvement. It takes getting vulnerable with people. It takes being in relationship with people. You can't be a member of a church and be anonymous at the same time. You've gotta get involved. You've gotta put your hands to work. You've gotta participate in what God is doing in this community. That's why Meredith and I are so passionate about this. At this location, at our downtown location, at our Lima location, at our Wayne location, at our online location, ensuring that we don't just have a large group of people that are just spectating, but that we are all involved, that we are in each other's lives, that we are in community together to make sure that we are all moving in the same direction as a church that knows each other, as a gathering of believers. And this is why I love the story of the feeding of the 5,000 families, because it shows us that miracles take place when we gather together. Miracles can take place in solitude, but they often take place in the gathering. There is a miracle in the masses. We see thousands of people that are together that experience this miracle that Jesus performs when they are together. There was great power that came from the solitude, but it was experienced and enjoyed in the community. And so we know the story well. We know the story of the feeding of the 5,000. We read about it earlier. We know that there were a ton of people that were hungry. And then the disciples told Jesus, hey, there's a lot of people that are here that are hungry and we don't have any food for them. They don't have any food for themselves. Send these people away so that they can go and get food for themselves. And Jesus says, you feed them. And they said, well, we don't have that kind of money. That would cost thousands of dollars. We can't feed all of these people. And he said, well, what do we have? And so then the disciples go out and they try and find the solution and they find this little boy that has some loaves of bread and some fish. And then they bring it to Jesus, and we know the story where he thanks God for it, where he breaks it, and where he prays over it, and it is multiplied to feed thousands of people. We know this story, it's a very common story, but as I was reading over this story over the last couple of weeks, something stood out to me that I haven't seen before. And it's this, that the disciples didn't have any food at the beginning themselves. It's not like they had some food that they weren't willing to share. They didn't have any food themselves. And so while they said to Jesus, we have a lot of people that are here that don't have any food, send them away. They also, being the disciples, were hungry themselves. They had focused their attention on the hunger of the people. They saw the hunger of the people, the community being the issue, but they were hungry themselves. And if Jesus had fulfilled their request to send the community away, they would have stayed hungry themselves. The issue that they had seen being the community in reality also held the solution that they needed for themselves as well. The boy was inside the community. The boy that had the bread and the fish was inside the issue that they had identified. And so if Jesus had sent them away, they would have stayed hungry. Jesus lets them stay, and they find their solution, not just for the masses, but for themselves as well. And how many times do we view 2020 just as being an issue? 
I wonder if Jesus is using 2020 that we have identified as an issue. And a matter of fact, he is identifying the solution for the need that we have not even identified on the inside of our life, and he is bringing it into our life. That he is answering prayers that we don't even know that we need to pray for yet. That he is blessing us with the thing that we think is the issue, and he is bringing that blessing into our life. We complain about 2020 like it brings us into solitude, like it brings us into a lack of employment, like it's a whole season of difficulty, like this election season is just crazy. What if God is using 2020, the thing that we have identified as the issue, and he is bringing the solution into our lives for the thing that we don't even know that we need to pray for yet? He is so good that I believe that he is doing that. He is so kind that he is moving, that he is answering prayers that we don't even know that we need to ask for yet. He is that kind of God. He is that kind of Father. So we have solitude and we have community. Community, in many ways, I think about it as the doing. And solitude, I think about as the not doing, the resting. We have the doing and the resting. And what we don't need in life is balance. I'm not talking about balance between these two things. What we actually need is rhythm between these two things. And to help communicate that, Jackie, would you come help me out here? Um, I just wanna illustrate this musically. Music is not just about balance. Music is about rhythm. If you think about chords and notes, that's like the doing of something, right? And also within music, there is the not doing. There is the resting between the chords, between the notes. Music is not about balance, it is about the combination between the chords and the resting between these two things. And so uh, we sung a song earlier at the beginning of service, Graves into Gardens, and I wanna illustrate this point really quickly that it's not about balance, that it's about rhythm. It's about finding what's right in the different season that you're in. And so, um, can you play the chorus of that song without any chords and without any notes, just play it with rest? Perfect, that is the example of playing a song just at rest, you can't do it, right? If you are only resting, then you can't experience what God is doing. At the same time, I want you to play that song with only chords and with only notes without any rests at all. That doesn't sound right, does it? We kind of pick up on the song a little bit. You can kind of hear that song, but that's not exactly the way that that song was meant to be sung. It's not the way that that song was meant to be enjoyed because there is no space. There is no rest in those moments. Play that song again with the chords and with the notes and the rest that are meant to be there. Know this song, let's all sing it together. Jackie, would you lead us in this song one more time? Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing 
that, you hear how much more beautiful that song is when we have the doing in rhythm with the not doing, when we have those things balanced perfectly together. It's not about them being exactly the same. It's about finding what's right for each line. It's about finding what's right for each moment in that song. It's about finding what's right in our lives, right? You, you can't imagine what it would be like, the mess that it would be if you always tried to have 12 hours in your day of community and 12 hours in your day of solitude. That would be a mess, that would be balance, but we're not talking about balance, right? We're talking about rhythm. We're talking about fluidity. We're talking about how important it is to do what is right in the season that you are currently in. These things will change over time, right? And what's right for me is probably not right for, what, for, for your life. And I wanna encourage you to be thinking about, are you in the right rhythm for the season of life that you're in, for the moment of life that you're in? Not just the age, not just the year, but literally the day. Have you found your rhythm today? Have you found your rhythm of solitude? Have you found your rhythm of community? It's not about balance. It's about rhythm. It's about finding what's right in the moment that you are in. And we all have a default, one way or the other, that when you lean too far, it has an issue, right? If you are too external focused, if you are always focused on the community, then you're probably never really able to analyze what's going on on the inside of you because you see yourself as somebody else's solution because you haven't really identified what it is that God is doing on the inside of your life. And you've got to ask yourself the question, why am I always in community? Why do I always want to be around other people? What is it about my own company that I don't like? What is it about myself that I don't like? Why am I always pushing to be around other people? Right, that's one way of leaning too far. The other way of leaning too far is when you are always by yourself. When you don't see yourself as someone else's solution when you don't invest yourself into other people's lives, when you are always in solitude yourself. And you gotta ask yourself the question, why am I always in solitude? Why do I not see myself as valuable? Why am I not ever getting myself into relationship with other people? Why am I always hanging out by myself? Why is it always just me and Jesus? Why am I not in other people's lives as well? Have I been hurt in the past? Maybe I don't wanna get back into relationship. Maybe I don't wanna get vulnerable again. Maybe that's it. But it is our heart that this church would be a place where we can be in community together. That you can be in community when you're by yourself, when you need healing, and that you can be in community when we come together. That we can be a church that always has a space for you whether you come into this church today for the very first time and you feel broken, that this can be a place where you find a home. That if offense ever takes place in this church, that you would still stay in community, that you wouldn't retreat from community to find healing, but that you would find healing in community as well. That you don't recoil from relationship just because someone hurt your feelings, but that you would stay present in the conversation 
that you don't block the person on social media, but you enter into it with maturity and say, hey, I didn't like what just happened there. Let's talk about this. Let's move to the other side of this, but let's approach it together, ensuring that God is able to do what only God is able to do, not just being in solitude, but allowing God to heal us in community as well. And here's what I believe. I believe that God is still God in our solitude, that God is still God in our community. I believe that He is with me when I'm by myself. I believe that He's with me when I'm with a crowd of people. I believe that He is with you when you are alone in your bedroom. I believe that He is with you when you are in a sea of countless faces. I believe that God knows you, that God wants you to know Him. I believe that God wants to be into deep, intimate relationship with you. I believe that the promises that God has made over your life are still yes and amen, that God has not forgotten you, that God still is speaking promises over your life, that God still wants to be in a relationship with you, that nothing that you can do can separate you from His love, that nothing that you can do can make Him love you any more or love you any less, that His promises are faithful, that He is faithful, that He is a faithful God, that He is a restorative God, that He will bring healing in every situation, whether you are by yourself, whether you are in community, that this is the God who gives us promises and is faithful to keep moving on our behalf. And if you'll stand with me, I wanna pray this over you as we conclude this message. I wanna say thank you, God, for loving us in our solitude. Thank you, God, for loving us in our community. Thank you, God, that you know us in all different seasons. Thank you, God, for giving us the wisdom to know when each different one is required. Thank you, God, for moving on our behalf. Thank you, God, for healing us in solitude. Thank you, God, for healing us in community. Thank you, God, for what you are doing in this place, that you are still communicating, that you still have promises over each of us individually. We know that you are here. We know that you are healing the brokenhearted. We know that you are still speaking the promises. We know that you are still faithful. You are a faithful God. And we praise you in this place because of it. We're thankful for what you're doing. And it's in your mighty, awesome, powerful son's name that we've prayed, amen. We are believing that that word will bring strength and hope into your life. Absolutely. If God just spoke to you through this message and you're stirred right now to partner with us and to sow financially into the ministry that is Cornerstone Church, I want to encourage you to jump on over to our website, which is simply cornerstone.church and click the Give button. Find the avenue that is most convenient for you today. That's right. We are going to continue spreading the message of the gospel and we look forward to continuing to connect together.